You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. He has this warning, whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed and not without remedy. Sometimes it's all of a sudden, he says, that's it. It sounds like death to me. That sounds like death. I'm not saying it's always death, but it sure sounds like it. And here's last but not least, uh, repentance is needed even after salvation. We live in a culture, and we have for some time, where for people to hear what you really need, what you really need is to repent. That is not a common and well-received message, generally speaking. When you hear the word repent, you might shudder a little inside. Perhaps it brings to mind those fire and brimstone preachers from long ago. Or maybe you picture the street corner evangelist, the one that everyone suspects has a few screws loose. In general, that word brings a feeling of discomfort. As Pastor Danny will challenge us in today's message, whether you've been a believer for 50 years or have yet to place your faith in Christ, there is sin in your heart. And in order to turn towards Christ, you have to be willing to repent. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Mark chapter one, as he continues his message, The Blessings of Repentance. Ezekiel 18.32, I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. I went online and I got a lot of information that I chose not to share with you. I don't even have it in my notes. But it was interesting stuff. And it was detailed information of what we do as a nation, as a government, when our president leaves Washington and travels to another place. Every time President Barack Obama leaves Washington and goes somewhere else, it costs taxpayers millions of dollars. I'm not complaining about that. I'm just stating a fact. I don't know if you're for it or against it. It doesn't matter who the president is. We do it for every president. Why? Because we're preparing the way that he goes from point A to point B and point C. And wherever he's going, he goes from here to here and he goes unhindered. And let me tell you, if he comes to your town, whatever path they've laid out for him to go, he gets off of Air Force One. He gets in the limo. And you better know there are no other cars except his and his entourage on the road. And he goes unhindered. And the way is paved. That's the idea here. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. That's not the whole text of Isaiah 40. For the rest of the text, let me go to Luke's account because he gives us more of what Isaiah chapter 40 says. Luke's gospel chapter 3 and verse 5. Here's what it says. 
Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways made smooth. I don't know if you ever thought about that as deeply as I have, but in thinking about it deeply, valleys filled in, valleys filled in, you're a low life. He said, you just call me a low life? No, I just used the term, and if it fits, you got to wear it. <laughs> you know what a low life is? Let me give you the definition of a low life. This is the definition of it. It's not my definition. It's the definition. A person considered morally unacceptable by their community. That's a low life. You're morally unacceptable to your community. Well, your lifestyle and the way you're living. Don't hang out with them, kids. Mountains and hills made low. God says to people like Esau in the Bible, you made your home up in the mountains, up in the high area. And you say, basically, none will topple me. That's pride. That's arrogance. Valleys filled in. Mountains and hills made low. We have a phrase for those high life people. Where I come from. You know what it is? They're too big for their britches. You know who coined that phrase? Anybody know who coined that phrase? Nobody? You'd be glad you came to church today. You know who coined that phrase? Good southern boy named Davy Crockett. Now you'd be more proud you're from the south. You're too big for your britches, boy. The crooked roads made straight. You're crooked. You know you're crooked. And the rough ways made smooth. You're tough. You're rough. And you're proud of it. But if you want to make a straight path for the Lord to come into your life and save you and change your life and continue to change your life, repent. Drugs for years stood in between me and God. I knew I needed to be saved. But you see, I love drugs more than I love God. You know, there was a period in my life, I've told you this before, I'm going to tell you again. There was a period in my life I loved marijuana more than I loved girls. If you're in that situation in life, let me tell you, you got a problem. You got a problem. I had a more romantic uh, time rolling the joints for the next morning. I'd sit there and, and, and take the bag of pot and I would just play with it, you know, caress it. That was my love. I'm not being dramatic. I'm telling you the truth. Oh, I love girls. But in the time you didn't have a girl, at least I had the pot. At least I could get high and dream about the girl. You know, put on the music and smoke the joints and get high and think, I don't have a girl, but man, it's sure great to be alive. Back in the day, that's what my kids say. I don't really like it when they say that, but I don't, I don't say anything to them. Because what they mean when they say, was that back in the day, Dad? What they mean is back in the day, years ago when I was young. That was back in the day, Dad. Back in the day, I remember one particular girlfriend. She was the one that I, I was head over heels in love with. And my relationship with her was not God-honoring. But I didn't care. Because I loved her. And she loved me. She loved me so much, one birthday, she gave me a whole carton of Winston cigarettes. That is true love, buddy. (laughs) 
That's when I knew she really loved me. Whole carton. That was my favorite cigarette. She broke up with me, and my world was devastated. I am not being, I'm not being dramatic. I'm telling you the truth. For two weeks, I could not eat food without purging. I was devastated. I thought my life had ended. But now I look back and I think it's one of the best things that ever happened to me. I'm not saying I would not have gotten saved had I remained in relationship with her. But while I was in relationship with her, even during a period of time where I was convicted by the Holy Spirit, because for much of our relationship, I wasn't convicted. I was enjoying it. But near the end of our relationship, I was being convicted by the Holy Spirit. I knew I needed to get right with God. I needed to be saved. I'd get moody. And she'd wonder what's wrong with me. She'd say, Danny, what's wrong? And I wouldn't tell her. And then you kick back a few more beers. And you know when you're in that kind of situ moody situation, it doesn't help you. Initially, it helps you get, you get a little more, you know, you know, life of the party kind of thing. And then the night goes on, and then you're just with her at the end of the night, and the conviction came back. And it didn't matter how much beer I'd had. And one night, I finally told her. She said, Danny, what is wrong with you? And I said, I'm not right with God. That's what I said. Boy, was she surprised. I mean, that's the last thing in the world she'd have come up with. You're not right with God. What, you know, what are you talking about? And after that's when she broke up with me. And I look back now and I'm so thankful. Because I don't know. I, if I had gotten saved, it would have been much more difficult because I loved her more than I loved God. <laughs> it's the only humorous part of this uh, message. It was a painter. They called him Jock. Jock was really into making money. He found a way to make more money in his painting business, but it was dishonest. You see, what Jock would do is thin the paint to make it go further, but in painting, it, with that paint, it didn't last nearly as long because the quality was inferior. And Jock got away with this for a while, and then one day, he got a bid for a resta restoration project on a big church building. So dollar signs began dancing in his head, and he set out erecting the trestle, setting up everything, buying the paint, and then, of course, with nobody looking, thinning the paint. That was his practice before he did the job. One day he was on the scaffolding, this church painting away, when suddenly there was a horrendously loud clap of thunder. It was so loud, it, it, it knocked Jock off the scaffolding. Luckily, he wasn't high enough to be hurt seriously. He landed right on the church lawn. Rain begins to pour from the sky like a river, washing the paint away all over the building. And Jock was obviously no saint, but he was no fool. He knew this was God's way of warning him that he needed to change his ways. So he got down on his knees right there and began to cry out, Oh God, forgive me! What should I do? And a loud, thunderous voice answered, Repaint, repaint, and thin no more. It's the only humorous part of the message. If you didn't laugh, part of the message is don't resist the Holy Spirit. And you're resisting the Holy Spirit by saying, I'm not going to laugh at a joke like that. What is repentance? The real technical definition of the Greek term to repent is a change of mind and a change of purpose. 
Years ago, God gave me this thought in relation to that definition. It's a change of mind that leads to a change in action. You see, it's more than an emotional experience. It's more than a psychological thing. It's more than uh, tears. Hebrews chapter 12, referring to Esau, says Esau, though he sought the blessing of God with tears, with tears, he could bring about no change of mind. That's interesting, isn't it? You can cry, you can be emotional, and yet not repent. I've seen people come down in a church service and they have, they're all emotional. They go away and their lifestyle is no different. I did that many times. I'd pray, God, forgive me. Jesus, come into my life. I'd go back to the girl. I'd go back to the drugs. But genuine repentance is, is, is there's change. There's a difference. Now, there's a mystery in repentance. Uh, first of all, it's a gift of God. It's a gift of God. Second Timothy, opponents of Christianity must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance and lead them to a knowledge of the truth. That word for grant is literally the word in the Greek that could be translated and sometimes is give. It's a gift that God will give them, grant them repentance. The Jewish believers were shocked that God had granted the Gentiles without them being circumcised, granted them repentance unto life. So here's the deal. And we need to understand this, because I didn't understand it for a period of time in my early Christian life, and my pastoral life, and it bothered me, because I would share Christ with people on their deathbed, and they would reject the message, and I'd walk away, and hours later, they'd be dead, and they'd reject it. Some got actually perturbed that I would actually say, you need to repent, and I'm here, and I'm telling you, receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, and even now, you can repent. And I got some people got angry at me. And I go away going, how can you know that you're going to die and you not repent and receive Christ? How can that happen? Because it's a gift. You don't choose when to repent. You can choose to repent, but you don't choose when to repent. Because you can only repent when God, by his Holy Spirit, is moving. That's what Jesus said. Nobody can come to me unless the Father draws him. You can't get saved unless God, by his Holy Spirit, draws you. And brings conviction into your life. You can't be saved. So here's the mystery. It, it, it's a gift of God, but it's also a personal choice. But it's a choice that can only be made when God is moving. I wasn't convicted every day of my life when I was living an immoral life with that girlfriend. Or smoking pot and everything else. I, I wasn't convicted. If I was convicted every day, that, that, would kind of, that would kind of hurt the party, wouldn't it? That kind of put a downer on the, on the time with your girl, Right? If you're convicted all the time, 24-7, but that's not the case. I mean, there were days, weeks, months, years that I, man, we were living it up. And I was like, this is a great life. But it's where it ends. That's what the devil don't tell you. The devil devil don't tell you where it ends. It's a personal choice. It can only be made when the Holy Spirit is drawing us and moving us. That's why places like Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 tells us, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. You see, repentance can be resisted, resisted. Acts 7, 51, you always resist the Holy Spirit, Stephen said. And repeated resistance can result in some very damning conditions and situations in life. Uh, Your heart can become calloused. And you, you become insensitive to the Holy Spirit. He's moving, he's working, but you, you, you're insensitive. You're like, yeah. You were sensitive at one point, but now you've repeatedly resisted. And now you can sit through a church service, Holy Spirit may be moving, other people, you know, responding. And you're like, you go away, no different. You didn't really feel anything. You 
can be given over. Romans chapter 1, you just read it and God says, okay, if that's the lifestyle you want and you don't want to retain me in your knowledge, you just read Romans chapter 1. He says some people he gives over. Awful place to be. He gives them over. And then some, some, he has this warning, whoever remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Sometimes it's all of a sudden, he says, that's it. It sounds like death to me. That sounds like death. I'm not saying it's always death, but it sure sounds like it. And here's last but not least, uh, repentance is needed even after salvation. We live in a culture, and we have for some time, where for people to hear what you really need, what you really need is to repent. That is not a common and well-received message, generally speaking. Even in the church, I remember, and it's, it's so fresh in my mind, and I'll never forget it. I've dealt with a lot of people over the years, obviously, in pastoral ministry. But one really stands out as I studied for this message. And it was years ago, this couple in our church, and we knew them, and it became known uh, that this wife caught her husband viewing pornography. And uh, they began to come to me, and uh, we sat down with them, and we tried to help them. And I met with them together, and then we had arrangements for her to be helped with some women in the church, and I met with the husband. And I remember one of our first, our very first meeting, our very first meeting was just him, him and me. And um, he said, Danny, Pastor Danny, what do you think I need to do? And you know what I said to him? I said, I said, you really need to repent. That's what I said. And he looked down and he rubbed his head, and I can see it like it was a video, and he said, but I want to know why. I said, what do you mean? He said, I want to know, was it my parents? Was it my upbringing? What, what? I want to know what caused me to do that and, and to enter into that kind of lifestyle. And, and, and he told me how many years he'd been viewing pornography well before he got married. And I said, it doesn't matter about your parents. I said, it doesn't matter about your upbringing. I said, you can go through all those things all you want, but when it comes down to it, bottom line is you made a choice. And you need to repent. And he didn't want to hear that. And he didn't hear that. And in subsequent meetings, he didn't want to hear that. And he never did repent. His marriage was destroyed. He left the fellowship. We need it even after salvation. Five of the seven letters to the churches of Revelation. Five out of seven, Jesus said, you need to repent. What did they need to repent of? Ephesus, you've left your first love. I believe that's two things, your personal passion for Jesus Christ. But secondly, if you study carefully the letter to the church of Ephesus and the letter to the church of Ephesus in Revelation, it's very clear to me. It's not just a personal passion for Jesus Christ. It's a fellowship with other like-minded believers. You know what some of us need to repent of? You used to be in deep fellowship with other believers who love and know Jesus Christ in the church that you're a part of. If it's Calvary Chapel, Calvary Chapel. But now, but now there are some people that used to be in fellowship, but now they come a little later. Make sure the singing's already started. Make sure that at the end they go and get in their car. And even while I'm wrapping things up, they're in their car and they're away from here so they don't have to engage anybody. You say, you're targeting me. You throw a rock into a pack of dogs, and the one that barks, that's the one that got hit. That was deep theological, wasn't it? <laughs> the church of Pergamum, what did God say? What did Jesus say? You've compromised in relationship with unbelievers, and they've led you into sexual sin, and you're involved in relationship and sexual immorality. 
repent. He's talking to Christians. The church of Thyatira is the third. They had sinned the same way Pergamum sinned, but Jesus adds one note to Thyatira that he didn't add to Pergamum. You know what he says to Thyatira? I've given you time to repent of your sexual sin, and now I'm going to cast you on a bed of suffering. And I don't know what all that means, but it sounds serious. And now you're not going to enjoy it anymore. Repent. The fourth was Sardis. What did he say about the Christians at Sardis that needed to repent? You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. These are Christians who are actually involved. They may serve in the nursery. They may serve in the children's ministry. They may go on a mission trip with you. They may play in the band with you, you know. But when they go away from the church fellowship and from service, when you see them, it's like, praise the Lord. How was your week, man? Yeah, praise the Lord. And they go away and they're living a lifestyle. And there's sin in their life, but it's hidden from everybody else, but it's not from God. And you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Repent. And then the fifth and final one that needed to repent. You know what church that was? Listen up. I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to you. Listen up, American church. That was the church of Laodicea. And they lived in a culture and at a time where even the rest of the world might be suffering, but their economy was good compared to everybody else's. And it wasn't they were, wasn't they were cold. It wasn't they were cold. No, it wasn't they were doing nothing. It wasn't they didn't care. It wasn't that they didn't love Christ. But they weren't hot. They were lukewarm. And they got comfortable. And they got comfortable in their Christianity. You know what Jesus said about that church? I'm about to spew you out of my mouth. That's what Jesus said. In other words, that makes the heart of God and the heart of Christ nauseous. He says, I'd rather you be cold or hot, but not halfway. Acts chapter 3 says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Times of refreshing. You know what that word literally means? A cooling, a recovery, a breath. Literally, revival. I've never met a person that's repented, either coming to Christ for salvation or after Christ repented as a Christian. I've never met one person that's repented and then later said, I really regret I did that. Let me read you one final verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. So see what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done or to do what's right. You know what those two verses reveal to me in a fresh way? I never saw it before. Verse 10 is referring to repentance to bring you to Christ for salvation initially. Verse 11, he's talking to the church at Corinth. After they've been saved. They repented about things after they were saved. Now my understanding is repentance when you come to Christ is not an itemized list of your sin. Are you with me? You don't come to Christ and say, oh, by the way, I did this, 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 and this, and this last year, and this five years ago. I mean, you'd be, you'd be there for a long time confessing all your sins. No, it's a carte blanche. It's I'm a sinner and God, Holy Spirit's convicted you and you come and you, you repent and you receive Christ. But then after receiving Christ, it gets more specific when we need to repent. Seven letters to the seven churches. Sexual sin, you need to repent. 
You're lukewarm. You need to repent. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. You need to repent. You've left your first love. You need to repent. We're so thankful to be able to share the Word of God with you here on The Living Word. Thanks for being a part of our listening audience. If you want to hear today's message again, please visit ccfstpete.church. You can also join in our Bible reading plan. Just look under the Resources tab on our website for more information. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to take a moment to ask you to partner with us here on The Living Word. Would you join with us in praying for the listeners of this program? You might not realize how powerful prayer can be, especially during such uncertain times. There might be a listener who's really struggling, and God might stir in their heart a renewal of their faith simply by listening to this program. Please pray that each person who hears these messages would find encouragement. Just as we're reminded in Mark, God came to earth as a human, suffered in all the ways we do, and ultimately came to redeem each one of us. That's the takeaway we hope every listener gains from tuning in. Please pray for us also to seek God's will for this program and for it to continue to reach people in a powerful way. Thanks for praying with and for us. With that, we've come to the end of our time with you today. Thanks for joining us as Pastor Danny continued looking at the book of Mark. We hope that you'll tune in again right here on The Living Word.